I've lost my beer already. We haven't even started the show. I think you brought I think, one. I think I left it in the studio. He's gone. All right. Uh, it's a worry. Hold that thought. I'm going to get my beer. Okay. Hey guys, welcome to the Purple Fringe. This is episode 9, Chris. We're nearly there to the Big Ten. Yeah, we are nearly to the Big Ten. What happens at the Big Ten? We just don't know. I don't know. But anyway, this is the Purple Fringe, the show that talks about the high end of low end digital media production. Indeed. And, uh, today we've got quite a bit to get through, so let's get right to it, Chris. Let's get rolling. Uh, there's a whole load happening. GoPro, everybody's favourite. Drink. Uh, Oh, is that an offence? I didn't I say immersive GoPro, or 3D. No, GoPro, GoPro is an offensive GoPro, word too. Or oh, right. action, action camera is the alternative. We're into the drink already. All right. So their Karma drone has been delayed until the 2016 holiday season. Yep. So this basically <laughs> means that uh, for the, the holiday season, in inverted commas, is... Um, Christmas. I suppose that like Christmas time, and they're saying, what an ideal time to release it. In other words, they want people to be on the ski slopes, having drones follow them down. In other uh, words, we couldn't slope. get the drone out, and this is our excuse. <laughs> Look, we don't know what's happening, uh, really. Uh, uh, this is a little bit disappointing for GoPro, because um, they've had a, such a good portfolio of good products, one after the other. You know, they're, I mean, their GoPro 4 was almost their pinnacle, uh, really, you know, and, and yet, but then the 3... I mean, the three introduced HD, full HD, and things like that. We had 4K, you know, come out. Mm. It was just such a good progression. But everybody else is caught up. Yeah. And the problem is now, especially with DJI, they're just so far ahead of the game. Yeah, they've just released their new drone, the Phantom 4, as well as a big heavy lifter drone. So, yeah, it's going to have to be something pretty special for GoPro to catch up at this stage, especially if they're going to release it you know, in six months' time. Yeah, I mean, DJI have done clever things as well. They've got additional cameras in their drone, as far as I understand, that look straight down and do things like um, photo map, like uh, difference mapping, so they can see where they are on the ground and what they're going to collide with. They've got, like, collision detection. So you can basically say, I want, you know, with the drone, I want it to fly from here to here, draw it as if it's a spline curve in a 3D program, and press go, and it'll just go and get the shot. Mm. That's really clever. And yeah. and it not only does it use GPS, but it also uses its own protection to not hit people or hit things. And it has no exclude zones that um, or exclusion zones for airports and for heights and for safeties. It knows where public uh, facilities are and things. I mean... Yeah, yeah you so know. you can't fly into the White House as they did uh, not that long ago because they've updated it and knows where it is via GPS now. The, I think the only thing that GoPro possibly will have compared with DJI, and there's lots of other drone companies out there, it's maybe price because the DJI products, not super expensive, but also not super cheap. So maybe GoPro can compete on price, but based on their action cameras, I'm not sure that's really their their strongest game because GoPros are they're expensive for what you get really these days compared with the competition that's out there. So yeah, unless they've got some incredible technology we don't know about, they do have price. There is a bit of a window there in terms of the market, in terms of the maybe close to a thousand sub thousand dollar drone if it's any good but it hasn't been their strong suit in the past well maybe they'll combine it with some immersive video goody that's a drinking offense can't wait <laughs> okay next up canon announces a new top of the line speed light and oh, also a new eos m lens it's a macro lens so let's start with the flash um which makes me depressed because i have plenty of the what was until very recently previous top of the line flash which was the 600 ex so they've got a, a new version now it is pretty quick to replace the old model 
but I'm not too depressed because it's not a massive difference. They have boosted the recycle times. Mm. So basically what that means is it will flash faster. Um, so up to two times, the two times comes with a bit of an asterisk and that's if you're using their custom battery pack, which is basically eight double A's in a, in a box from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it'd be 1.1 to 1.5 times faster than the existing flash. I have never really found the recycling times to be a big issue. Occasionally, Occasionally it does. Yeah, if you're doing a rapid fire, it's... Yeah. Look, if you're shooting with fast glass, you're not firing the flash at full bore anyway. In fact, I'm often firing it at, at its lowest point, so it's not a big issue for me. But yeah. for some people, I'm sure it is. For anybody out there who's not totally familiar with flashes as well, you've got to be quite careful with a flash head running it at full. Mm. Um, you really do uh, shorten the length of your flash the harder you run it. And, and the batteries as well. Well, the batteries are nothing, but I mean, if you kill a flash, a flash head's not cheap to replace. So, mm-hmm. you know, running it at full chat the whole time, people are like, oh, I'm going to go a lower ISO and just bang my flash at full. And it's, yeah. uh, no, I wouldn't no. be doing that. Crank the ISO a little bit. Crank the ISO, save your flash, because, yeah. you know, you, you, you're ex- almost exponential. So you, you'll lose like four times or eight times the length of your flash for each time you double or double and a half, you, you know, your, your flash and amount. So. Nothing worse than the batteries running out right at the wrong time. So, mm. yeah. Look, the, well, they don't uh, run out. They just get slow. It just starts getting slower and you start realising I'm not getting shots. Well, eventually you run out. Though. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You'd notice long before yeah. you run out. <laughs> yeah. But fingers crossed with this new uh, battery pack as well, a lot more capacity in it. So. Yeah, the new battery pack's the CP-E4N. Um, I'm not huge on battery packs, but I know a lot of people that are for flashes. I generally do off-camera on light stands and that sort of thing, so it's not a, a big deal for me. Um they're not all that much different physically. They're about the same size, not any lighter. Sorry about that, Chris. So you'll mm-hmm. uh, have to be carrying around the same weight. I'll be interested to see if it does break compatibility with some of the third-party products mm. that are out there. There are a couple of uh, third-party flashes that are compatible with the current generation 600EX RT yeah. flashes, and they cost less than half. So I'll be interested to see if it somehow breaks the... Um, the the wireless uh, protocols, I suppose. So that it only works with Canon transmitters. Yeah, yeah. You would um, think they'd keep it compatible. I hope so, because um, sometime in the future I'll probably buy a couple of those. But uh, apart from that, not a whole lot has changed. A little bit new in the interface on the back of the flash. Actually, now that I think about it, that's probably not a bad thing because... The interface wasn't that intuitive. Even now, sometimes I have to sit down and really think about what I'm doing in order to change certain settings on the flash. Uh, so anything that makes that a little bit easier is is definitely a good thing. Um, but apart from that, not too much to report, really. Brilliant. Uh, the other thing that was in the same sort of announcement was a new EOS M flash. So EOS M, sorry, flash lens. Uh, EOS M is Canon's mirrorless uh, camera line, which hasn't exactly caught the world on fire. Uh, I own one of them, but I own one of them because it was cheap. Uh, And I don't use it that often because it doesn't have an EVF. But the new ones do, and this uh, looks like an interesting lens. It's a macro lens. It's it's a 28mm, which is pretty wide for a macro. Now, you've got to factor in the fact that it is on a a crop body sensor, so it's a 1.6 crop. So it's roughly around the the 45mm, but even that's pretty wide for a a macro. This is good. Um, 
I mean, it, it has a few killer things into it that if you're thinking about your, someone who likes to take photos of small things, let's say uh, a coin or a ring or a, something that's, you know, insect that you want, of some an insect of some description, you really want to get down to that macro level. There's this trick where you can take a standard lens and you can actually flip it in reverse. So you're actually shooting with the back of the lens and you attach the front of the lens to where you know the um, the barrel of your your, your camera mount is, mm. um, and a lot of this is effectively it has that built into it. But it has LED. The problem is getting the light in from either side. So it's okay if it's yeah. a bright day, but you'll typically typically be casting a shadow, which is then underexposed or is in exposure, and then you've got this ring that's just kind of you know just blowing right out. And if you're at night and you're trying to get light in, you know you're you've got down light and you can't actually get light into the shot without bringing LEDs in. So this has LEDs built into the rim of the light on either side. Great idea. The good shape. It's almost a full ring, you know. Uh, yeah. So it's it stabilized just- as well. That's the biggest thing, you know, when you're trying to hold it still and get your shot. So this is really designed for people who want to get a shot of something super small and just put the camera there and hit the button. Yep. So for those who haven't shot macro before, depth of field is a big issue. This is an f3.5 lens, which is reasonably fast, but you'll quickly discover that shooting at the widest part of the lens with macro stuff makes things more difficult for you. So generally you're stopping down, as Chris said, when you stop down, of course, you lose light and this brings back some of that light. And it's not going to be a high output thing, but since you are so close, it'll be enough. And the other thing is it's a ring light, so you're going to get light all around the subject. So you could set up a flash or, or, or some other light, but then you're still going to get a very directional sort of light because remember, this is a very small subject you're shooting. So the ring light going around the actual lens itself ensures that it's going to be lit from every angle, and hopefully that will create a, a more flattering profile on, on your subject. This is a bit of a revolutionary lens, in my my opinion. It's a pretty cool idea to have all of that in one lens. And at the right price, I think it's going to open up a whole new set of opportunities for anyone who wants to take shots of things that are small. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up on the list, a bit of a small thing, but interesting nevertheless, that is Adobe is reducing their Creative Cloud trial down to seven days. So it was 30, now it's going to be seven Oh, 14 just makes much more sense. I don't know why they've gone to seven. I mean, I understand people every 30 days who are just re-imaging their machine. Yes, I met a young lass the other day who said uh, she just signs up for a new email account and <laughs> downloads it all again. But um, yeah, I, I maybe, people, maybe a lot of people are doing that. People don't understand that you can't produce commercial work with a demo. Like, it's just not, you know, it's not what you do. Yeah, it's it, it's like it's that's illegal. It doesn't matter if it's a demo. Like if you're refreshing your demo every thirty days, it's like you may as well get a pirated version and use that. It's the same terms and conditions. You can't be pro- producing professional output with a demo. It's a it's a trial thing, and when you commit to it, as far as I know, as far as I understand, anyway, that's when you can release commercial work. Is is that right, or am I wrong there? That's been the traditional way of doing things, and I think it still stands. I haven't read the terms and conditions for a long time. But, um, yeah, look, 7 is pushing it. I think 14 might have been a better compromise. The only thing I'm a little bit worried about, because I've experienced this, is when the subscription screws uh, up with Adobe. Yeah, and, and when you go you are, bush and you've got no internet yeah. and then you're fucked. 
Yeah. So, look, <laughs> I have found that sometimes it seems to be very hit and miss. Sometimes the subscription doesn't care. In fact, I ac- accidentally went three months without renewing the subscription and nothing happened. I didn't realize until three months after. But other times it's been bag- bugging me to say, you know, you've got to sign up for this this Creative Cloud plan. And I'm like, well, I'm already subscribed to that. So, yeah, look, in those times where you don't have internet con- connectivity or Adobe servers ha- are having issues, which they do, uh, I'd like a few extra days up my sleeve just in case. Yeah, I'm not cool with seven. 14, mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And yeah. Also, for students as well who are just using the tools very sparingly, seven days isn't isn't a lot to, to get up and running. You can't learn much in seven days. So it'd be good if they had uh, a little bit more. Um, and also if their education pricing was a bit cheaper. Yeah. I think uh, you know some of the companies in the past have had really good educational prices, 3D Max and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The Pro- guys doing it behind 3D Max, uh, Autodesk. Yeah, their stuff is free, like all their stuff, and they own buttloads of different applications. Mm. And if you are a student, you can sign up with your .edu email, and you can get all that for free. And that's the way to go, really, because then all the students are in there, they're using it, they they will be uh, pushing their bosses when they move into the real world and get a job to use that stuff because they're familiar with it, they're happy with it, they like it because they were exposed to it and they didn't have any you know, negative experiences with pricing and subscription and all that yeah. sort of stuff. I would, I would love to see a $5 um, per month or even something like $100 a month, $100 a year subscription for students yeah, where good. you just get it flat for 100 bucks and leave it at that. Yeah, Australian, so that would be like you know, 75 American. Yeah, so the, the other thing... It's interesting is there's starting to be a few competitors to Photoshop that are out there. So, yeah, in the past, it's been Photoshop or nothing, but there are a couple of really interesting applications out there, Pixelmator and um, I forget the name of the other company, but there's another competitor that's out there that's looking looking pretty good. So Adobe probably need to watch themselves, which is a good thing because mm-hmm. up until now, apart from the video world where they've got No, 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 but DaVinci. Davin- oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the video world, they've got uh, competition. Um, Photoshop. Illustrator, not so much. So, um, and also their motion graphics—you sort of go to Nuke after After Effects. There's not that much apart from Apple's Motion, which I mentioned the other week, doesn't really do that much in the in the marketplace. Um, they don't have that much competition. So, anything that can push Adobe, I think, is a good thing. Mm. Absolutely. Um, next up, this is a little bit different. It's not gear or anything like that or software. This is Amazon and their new video service. So basically they've got what many people have claimed is a YouTube competitor, but it isn't really. Um, it's a service that uh, allows you to monetize your content, um, much like I guess YouTube does, but it's a little bit different. It's aimed more at the professional market and they've – come up with some interesting ways to, to sort of separate the, the professional market from your everyday mum and dad who are uploading cat videos. So, look, the, the idea is that you can publish a video and people can pay for it or you can get revenue from ads or, or other other methods. The differentiator between the mum and dad uploading a cat video versus the professional people is closed captioning, which I think is an interesting one. Mm. Because... Mandatory closed captioning? Yeah. Is that, oh, that's great. Yeah, look... It's something that normal people aren't going to do and also Amazon can claim it's for the greater good. So I think it's a win-win from that perspective. Um, Amazon's already got a great cloud backbone. One of the biggest things, of course, with hosting an, an online video site is the, the infrastructure behind it and YouTube's obviously got that sorted out. I think they're processing, what was it, 400 hours of video per minute 
at the moment. So that's pretty incredible. Amazon also have a pretty amazing uh, cloud presence with their S3 service and they have uh, the ability to spin up CPU cycles and all that sort of stuff. So they've obviously got enough grunt to throw at this thing. And also because they're targeting more at professional content, they're probably not going to have to deal with anywhere near the volume that uh, YouTube does. So look, I think the closed captioning is a really nice differentiator between uh, normal people and professionals. And um, the only other thing that was a bit different in terms of the uh, the sign-up process is it's a, it, it's definitely more business-focused. So I actually signed up just to, to see what it was all about. And there's a lot of questions about tax and uh, imports and all this sort of stuff. And there's even stuff about uh, free trade agreements between Australia and America and how that will be taxed and all this sort of stuff. So it's, it's a lot more daunting, confrontational, I suppose, than your standard YouTube thing where you sort of sign up and then if you want to monetize, you, you do that later. And even that's not that daunting. This is very sort of business language uh, sign-up stuff. You're handing over your tax file numbers and this sort of thing. So it's it's definitely a different experience to what you'd have with YouTube. Did you fake it or give them your real details? Uh, I actually gave them my real details <laughs> oh. because because um, one day, not right now, but one day I might want to use the service. And, uh, Fair enough. Uh, yeah, put in the real details. Um, just on the front of Amazon as well, they already bought uh, Twitch, which is a game streaming slash um, live yes. program service. Yes. That was a couple of years ago. So they already sort of have a bit of an insight and a, a presence there already. Might, yeah. And some I mean, expertise, Twitch, yeah. Twitch has already got quite a clever revenue system attached to it and some automated things for uh, announcing where people have donated and the way it runs. So maybe they're trying to just, you know introduce some new services around there that are less game-orientated. But, you know, if gamers can put up with it and like it, you know, anyone can deal with it because they're the first people to complain. So Yeah, yeah. All right, next up. Sorry, gamers out there. <laughs> Not all of you, just some of your vocal. <laughs> uh, LG introduces a live streaming active lifestyle camera mm. with LTE built-in. So this is an action cam, Chris. Drink. Yep. It, oh, hang on. At least it's not an immersive action cam, otherwise we'd be sculling. Yep. Um, okay, Korean uh, electronics manufacturer, of course, uh, been around for for a, a number of years now. I mean, made, LG made my very lovely TV OLED. Probably make the next TV I'll buy too. Yep. Um, you know, they, they're doing some pretty good out there stuff, and this is yeah. You strap it to your head, and uh, not only does it record on an SD card. It's not mandatory, though, Chris. Oh, you don't have to strap it on your head. No. <laughs> you can strap it wherever you want. Yeah. And um, it sends to uh, wherever you want it to uh, send to. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. And, but the good thing is it records on an up to two terabyte, in inverted commas, um, really? SD card. I didn't see that bit. Yeah, up two to terabytes. two terabytes. So this is a fair bit. And That's it a lot of lifestyle. It's a lot of lifestyle. <laughs> Uh, and it'll also stream it, um, you know, straight from the phone to a telephone network or a, a two, mobile. Two or terabytes a worth. Of two terabytes worth of data on the fly, which is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so this is great because you know you can, uh, especially for people who want to capture a live moment and stream it at the same time. You know, think about the smaller. You know, um, something like go kart racing or someone doing something. You know, something where you just strap a, a camera on and off you'd go. Um, you can now do that, and even if it was a, a family trip or something like that, you could just have a little box that you hit and you pass around, and you know, connect to somewhere, something, and you know, people can watch it. Yep, I, I personally can't see it, but I'm sure there is. <laughs> Look, why wouldn't you have your mobile phone just to do that mm. with a streaming program? I guess with the camera facing forward, you would do that for some stuff, but yeah. you know, for um, for specific action cam style, it is. Is it stabilised as well? I don't know if it has uh, active stabilisation in it. No, I'm not sure. I can't but see. It is quite deep in terms of the form factor. It's a lot deeper than a 
than a GoPro. Yeah, GoPro. It's more like a butler, like the contour sort of things. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a long, um, like the Lytra cameras. So yeah, like a sort of a little like mini a mini microphone kind Sony's of. Sony's action cameras were a bit like that for a while. Yeah, this one's very square though. It's sort of like. Um, yeah, square form factor, but barrel extruded. Yeah. yeah. So uh, look, in terms of the tech specs, ultra high definition at 30 frames a second, uh, 12.3 megapixel photos, 120 frames per second in HD. Those specs seem to be sort of the go-to specs for lower end mm-hmm. um, ultra HD cameras these days. Waterproof for half an hour at one meter depth. Will it transmit? Will it transmit uh, <laughs> 3G or LTE at that depth? We're not sure. No, it won't. Um, it won't? Okay. That's <laughs> that's just using every good, bit of... Good to know. Uh, yeah, transmitter. Yeah. yeah, you know, you get a little bit of coverage of rain on a bit of a sheet over the top of your tent and your radio stops working. So mm. anyway. Uh, shipping first in South Korea before rollout elsewhere. The other, It does have built-in Wi-Fi. Um, so you could actually use this more as a home security sort of time-lapse camera. Um, I think the Wi-Fi makes more sense than the 3G or LTE personally. I'm not sure how often, unless you had some massive data plan, I'm not sure how often you're going mm. to be streaming via LTE. But, hey, it, it's an interesting thing. It reminds me, of, I forget the name of it, and I'm kicking myself now. There was this camera I saw the other day. It was the most niche camera I'd ever seen. It was this very friendly-looking thing. It almost looked like a frog. It had two lenses, so it was a 3D camera that would stream live. So the examples were a, a child's birthday party, and the way they suggested that you'd see it would be via a, a VR headset. So they had grandma put on a VR headset to view the child's birthday. I'm already thought, drinking it ahead. There's so many drinking offences in that sentence. The <laughs> camera I've ever seen in my life. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, look, this thing looks like it'll be good. I mean, but what are you going to use it for? I mean, there's only a handful of things. Like, um, it's going to be something like, you know, Oh, look, my love, I'm about to go down the ski, you know, skiing fields. And then yeah. you turn it on and you go for a ski and hopefully don't fall over. And then what do you do at the bottom? Like, turn it around. There we go. Yeah, yeah. That like, was but there's no, it's not two way. Like, it's only one way. Or, yeah. I mean, for things like, I mean, honestly, things like demonstrations and where you're getting live feeds from things that are unfolding and even news story people who want to, like, honestly, clip it to your camera. Um, as a uh, journalist when something's unfolding and just keep the camera sort of pointing forwards or whatever, it would be an interesting feed potentially. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. something where it's strapped to your head. I'm not sure I need head, to but, see uh, motocross live. I can see it after the fact and still be impressed. I, yeah, and yeah. it's a cut. And this whole thing of, like, just television that's broadcast live, it, like, it, you know, from a, a webcam sort of situation. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the only thing I can think of is... I have followed certain situations where people have had like live phones going, and it's been interesting to watch. But yeah, but you've it's a live phone. Why do you need a live action cam? Uh, apart from the shot that they they they're marketing it with, which is someone going uh, yeah down a Nuts sand dune. Across, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know how much LTE on a and on for a the news going. stuff. Like sometimes it's important. But I, I met a, a guy who he was used to be a, a producer at Channel Nine the other day, and he he just he basically said to me, "I can't believe the shit they put out on commercial networks these days." So I don't know. I, I think we go back to the the quality, not quantity thing. We don't need live stuff just for the sake of it being live. Yeah. I'd rather it be distilled and, and yeah, yeah, and someone, half an hour old or an hour old. Yeah, exactly. You can you can cut stuff pretty quickly these days if you if you're keen. So, anyway, uh, interesting, mm. but uh, probably not anything that's going to win the much market share back from GoPro drink. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's GoPro. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, next up, YouTube Red, which sounds a bit strange as a name, I think. But anyway, 
it's available in Australia and New Zealand now. So, what is YouTube Red? I haven't actually read about this yet. Oh, okay. So YouTube Red, we're the first, well, us and our partners across the ocean uh, in terms of New Zealand, we're the first to get it outside the US. YouTube Red, the reason it's on here, it might seem a little bit weird at first because we're talking about uh, media production and YouTube's more often a consumption thing. Um, but YouTube Red is... Uh, a way for you as a subscriber or as a user of YouTube to, to view the content without ads, okay? So you can pay a, a fee every month and you get all the content from YouTube without ads. You have Can't the ability to- you sort of get that already? Well, <laughs> yes. You can, I can't you, remember the last ad I saw. You can officially do it and okay. you can also download it. Uh, yes, again, you- can officially download it okay. as opposed to yes so that that's all that's all good that alone probably isn't enough the other thing you do get is this new youtube uh, music thing which is basically uh, sort of like a, a algorithmically generated uh, radio station of music videos so okay that's that's nice um, mm-hmm. but okay and finally and this is the thing that i think makes it potentially for some people worth the money, you get uh, Google Play, which is their competitor to Spotify and Apple Music and and all those guys. So um, I would actually kind of think of it in that respect. If you want to sign up for a subscription music service like Spotify, uh, this is Google's version, has 35 million tracks, all the same sort of stats as as all of the, the major players. And then as a bonus, you don't have advertising on all your YouTube stuff and you can you can download stuff for offline viewing and all that sort of thing. Cool. All right. Was it two bucks a month? No. Five, more than five bucks a month. So pay, it's, it's similar to the other subscription services that are out there. So it's um, $12 a month. Mm. Um, look, I'm an Apple Music subscriber. I pay the $12 a month. I use Apple Music every single day. So look, I get my money's worth. Um, it's 10 bucks if you sign up before June 6th in this country. Look, I think it's interesting. The The reason it's on here in terms of production is that it's just another way that content producers will get paid. And it's a very indirect way, yeah. but it means that you're not necessarily relying on on ads. There are people that are happy to pay some money. And as a YouTube content producer, you get some money like as if it was advertising, but it's coming through someone's subscription payment. Um, just, and just to wrap up, the other thing you do get, which I don't think is all that exciting at this point, is YouTube Originals, which is kind of like Netflix Originals, I suppose, except you get Cutie Pie and all those YouTube stars, which I, I'm not too phased by. But look, it's interesting, and maybe in a few years it could be something a lot bigger than it is now. Um, I think there are a few people, at least, that are happy just to pay some money and, and get some music and, and get rid of the ads because mm. the ads are getting... Uh, bit more intrusive on YouTube these days. Um, we monetize our videos here at the Purple Fringe and uh, that's our do way we? of getting a few dollars. Do we? We, we do. Uh, it pays for the beer, Chris. Oh, um, there we go. <laughs> yes. oh, you mean we will in the future once it, we start putting videos yeah, up? Yeah, well, yes. Okay, and, we haven't, yeah. at this point, let's, let's just roll back. I mean, you might be listening to this in the future, but <laughs> yes. we haven't yet put ads on There will be our... very, very soon. But that's, um, that's fair enough because it, it does take a little bit of money to review beers and buy beer. So we've probably spent a couple of hundred dollars on beer on this show. I know. Far out. It's worthwhile. Monetize. Quick. Worthwhile investment. (laughs) So, look, that's YouTube Red. Um, Don't know if I'll sign up for it because I, as as I said, I already pay for Apple Music. I'm happy enough with it. But if I didn't have that sort of subscription service, I, I might be tempted. 
Yeah, fair enough. All right. So that brings us to the end of the news this week, Chris. Now, we have a topic that you've been dealing with quite a bit in the last few days. 24 hours, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The last, like, right before the show. So this is the the concept of stock. So let's talk about why you would need stock. Well, if you're making a soup, often you want some stock. Super comment, John. Yeah. Oh, damn. That gotcha. was pretty terrible. <laughs> I, I apologize. That's, that's, that's that. a, a double drink offense. Yeah. Look, stock, you always want to avoid it, but sometimes it's inevitable that you, you just can't get a shot. Or you, you can't be asked. Well, <laughs> it's not often that you can't be asked. Either you gave it a go or you just can't get the shot because time of day or location or just, you know, it was a flying shot over the city so or something like stock, that. Stock, let's back up a little bit. Okay, stock, stock. Those that aren't familiar is material that's out there and it's available for people to use and it's sort of like generic stuff that's already been shot and you can take that and put it into your own material and generally you pay something for it and it, it's sort of a, a generic a generic shot or generic sound effect or a piece of music or a vector graphic or whatever it may be. There are lots of different types of stock. Yeah. And it's typically, as a filmmaker or corporate shooter or video, whoever you are, you you drive yourself to try to capture the entire story when you shoot it. I mean, that's mm. part of, you know, sometimes the funnest shots and the best shots that you shoot are the, the incidentals that fit in between or establishing shots and things like that. Sometimes it is a dirty, rainy day without, and you just cannot capture the shot or it's, it, you know, you just... It changes. The story changes. Mm. And you suddenly need a shot of a field driving past a, a view of fields. You have a kid looking out of a window from a car that, that the director decided, oh, I'd like to put this in. And it's like, well, we need to suddenly show what the kid's seeing from their point of view. Mm. And you just need the ability to be able to experiment you know, with, with different shots. And, mm. and you can't just go and shoot everything. Sometimes there's, there's shots you don't plan for and you need them. Yep. And look, the, there's other reasons. Like, I'm completely inept when it comes to music. Chris is very musical. I am not. So stock music is something that I regularly seek out. Um, and look, there are other reasons as well. Sometimes you just don't have the budget. So mm. a client wants something that looks gee whiz, but they have $1,000 to spend. How do you do it? Well, stock might be might the be, answer. But it also might, might not be because as yeah. we will talk about, it can you'd get maybe two shots for that if you're lucky with some services. Yeah. But this is the discussion we're going to have. You've, you've got a missing shot. You've got a missing sound effect. You've got a missing piece of music. What options are out there? Why do some cost $99 for an entire year of unlimited use? And why do some cost $500 per shot? Mm. And what are you likely to find, you know, for, um, for $400 a shot versus $99 for a year subscription? So we've got two services that we, we want to chat about today before we get back to some of the, the more overarching themes of stock. Um, these are both services that we've used, that we've paid for out of yep. our own money. They're not subscribers or anything like that. They yeah, just happen to be the ones that we've settled on. You'll find yep. that people will have a, uh, a stock library they go to or a couple of stock libraries. Yeah. So the two we're choosing today are video blocks, which is something Chris has been using, and digital juice, which is something I've been using. So let's these start these are with, two uh, like go tos, I guess, uh, libraries for a reason. And then I've also used Shutterstock, Dreamstime, and iStop. We'll talk about those. Yes, yeah, so there are lots of other ones as well. But yeah. these are these are the ones we want to chat about specifically. And I think they'll be a jumping off point for for other services that are out there. Absolutely, and probably relevant to a lot of our listeners who might be in a pickle and need a shot of something. And where do I get it from? Yeah. 
So let's start with video blocks. So this is something you've been using, Chris, for, for yeah. a little while. And I got it purely because it was like, you know, $150 for a year subscription. And there was yeah. at least four shots I needed for a, a job on there. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sign up. Yeah. And for that $150, that's going to just save. Like, It's just going to make my life a lot easier. They do advertise quite heavily. I was very close to, to signing up for the service. I didn't in the end, but um, they chased me around the web. They they often give deals, which I think they always have deals. I don't think you ever pay full retail, so to speak. But look, they're, they're a budget service and they have good points and bad points. So what are their good points, I, I guess, Chris, to start well, with? Well, I guess that you can easily just say to a client, well, look, just these are the shots that I want, like that we're looking at and you can send them a whole load of links and they can click on them without signing up or anything. They'll just be able to see them instantly and say, oh, I like this one or this one or this one or this one. That's it's good. The problem they have is they advertise themselves originally as a big, massive compile of stuff that a lot of, I guess, freelancers could just put their spare shots in. There's a lot of them that look a bit holiday shot-ish. Like they're <laughs> just not super high quality or it's like someone's shot a whole load of stuff and then you know, it's all their B-roll. It's all their second yeah. kind of shots at secondary versions and takes yeah. they put up there. It's not all that high quality. and Some of it doesn't have, like, it's not super sharp. Most of it is HD, but it's not always <clears throat> full HD. Sometimes, like, you can tell it's sort of been blown up. Mm. Um, it, so so but, just but, taking a step back, you're talking about shots. Is it just video that they offer or do they offer other things They also well? offer things like After Effects projects yep. um, for doing simple things like photo reveals and push-ins and like uh, like uh, things like uh, wedding introductions or yep. maybe they have something like epic title sequences if you need to do a quick showpiece for an epic title. Like Generally, you'd go back and do it yourself, but sometimes you can use their, uh, their templates as a stock, change the fonts around, change the backgrounds around, combine things mm. and look instead of having to spend like you know three days putting together stuff with an animator and and yourself and every you just sort of get it already in place and it's part of your subscription so you're not paying for it but i mean it's just the quality and the problem is they've got all this stuff that also goes alongside their unpaid content which is paid and you can choose to view like content that comes for free as part of your subscription but mm. as soon as you click on something it shows you alternatives yeah, that are paid good stuff and yeah. typically the paid content is good. Mm. Uh, and you're looking at it going, oh, like I wish like I had this shot instead of this one. And then mm. it's like 30 or $40 a shot. Now, that's not a lot of money, but no. Look, still. Just going back many, many, many years, probably 15 odd years, do you remember a company called Artbeats, Chris? I do remember Artbeats. They still they around. actually go back even further. Yeah. They used to release, I was doing a clear out with a friend's business recently, and we found boxes of digital beta cam tapes with mm. just back-to-back shots yep. from Artbeats. Yeah. yeah, look, Artbeats were a company that were probably one of the the earlier companies that did this sort of stuff, and they did really good quality stuff, but you paid for it. Mm. You were paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for for a set of, of footage, and they'd, they'd break it up into – they were renowned for their pyrotechnics and stuff like that. If you wanted the explosion. So good. still good. If you watch The Matrix, you'll see Artbeats stuff in there. Um, but they were quite pricey, whereas – yeah, video blocks is sort of going for the <laughs> the cheap and cheerful. But if you need a shot of an African village of people being unbanked or without communication or something like that, and you've just got a, a throwaway comment in a, in a corporate or in a documentary or you need to go somewhere where well, you're just not going to be able to you know, go, you can get those images. And mm. that's the main thing, you know. But so they're not going to be brilliant. How does... Video blocks work. Is it just purely a website? Do they have an app? Do they have any no, other services? Just, just, just a website? Just, oh, I don't know. I've just used a website. Just and a website. look, it works for me. 
I can cool. type in with my keywords. I need a shot of this. Do we have it on video blocks as a placeholder or is it going to work? Yeah, it might yeah. work. Cool. Maybe there's something you have to pay for that's watermarked. But you can still download the watermarked versions, put them in there yeah. and just tell your client it's like 30, 40 bucks a shot. Right. And have you found the download speeds? Oh, look, I don't have a very fast internet connection. It's yeah, been fine. So it's saturated that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we, as we experienced earlier today. Oh, let's not talk about internet. Mm. All right. So, look, uh, I've been using Digital Juice. Now, they've been around for a while, they Digital Juice. They have been, yeah. Look, they've, I don't know if they're as old as Artbeats, but I remember back when I was a teenager looking at the Digital Juice stuff and going, oh, that looks really cool. So, Digital Juice originally did a lot of sort of uh, animated stuff, uh, motion backgrounds. I think they're called mm. jump backs. Yeah, I remember the jump um, backs. The jump backs. And you'd, you'd buy them on CD and later DVD and they'd ship them out to you. And I, I bought a few of them on DVD back in the so day. So these would be backgrounds for things like money falling or like, yeah. you know, some kind of like grid moving or with some kind of yeah, like... Yeah, we just need some generic sort of motion background to add a little bit of something, something to the to the mix. So look, they were, they were good and they were... Not cheap, but they weren't expensive. They were yeah, somewhere in between. $250 a, a, a volume kind yeah, of yeah. yeah. And look, they also did gear as well. Like They did bags and jibs and dollies and all that sort of stuff. Um, in fact, I think we used one of their green screens for a while and it was pretty good quality. And they also did stock. They did stock libraries where you'd buy yeah. a big folder of like, uh, you know, 50 DVDs with... Person like, riding on a bike and yeah, uh, yeah all that sort of stuff. Super generic. And then you'd have to go through each DVD and find... But they had super low res like browser with thumbnail size stuff. So you could yep. go and go, this one, it's a insert disc number 44. You'd go flip through the wallet, <laughs> disc number 44, pop You're bringing it in. back memories, Chris. I remember oh, that Oh my now. God, let's yep. not say how old find we are. Find disc, yeah. Find this disc and, yeah. Yep. All right. So, look, Digital Juice have recently changed. They used to be this company that we just discussed that had uh, all these DVDs you could buy, and then they've sort of moved into the, the the realm of the download world, and they've rebranded themselves as sort of the Netflix for creative content. So, what does that mean? Well, essentially, it means that you can pay a fee and have access to, to everything. It's an all-you-can-eat sort of thing, which some stock services offer and some don't. I was one of the founders, the founding members. So when they first started this, they, they said, look, this is a beta, but we're trying, to, we're trying to move the business in this direction. I thought, okay, look, I've liked some of your stuff in the past. Is so this still available? We'll give it a go. Yes, which is actually a worry. Whenever a founding sort of membership goes on for more than a year, I start to think, well, maybe something's a little bit wrong. And the other thing that makes me worry is they are now offering, uh, when I did it, a sort of a fee, and then they said, oh, you can upgrade your membership so you don't have to pay monthly. Here's another fee. And now they're offering, a, you know, pay $500 for a lifetime. Wow, that, lifetime. That's yeah. like Fruity Loops. Yeah, except uh, what happens in 10 years? Where's their revenue stream if everyone does that? So, look, there are a few things that make me a little bit nervous about their business plan. But in terms of the content itself, I've sort of struggled a bit, Chris, to correctly identify what I truly think of it. And then I saw, what was it called? It was uh, Dashcam Videos 2 or something on, on some station late at night the other night. And I thought, this is sort of the, the perfect uh, indicator as to the, the level of stuff coming out of Digital Juice. And I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. It's this stuff that is, it's non-offensive, it's not edgy, it's not new, it's not hip, but it looks fine. It's not going to offend anyone. No one's going to go, oh, look, that's horrible. So People what do you find go, on there? What what kind of stuff are you finding? So in terms of the content, you've got you've got fonts, you've got 
video, stock video, you've got uh, a lot of After Effects templates, you've got music, you've got sound effects, you've, you've got the full gamut really, apart from maybe stock photography. There's a little bit there, but you definitely wouldn't go to them for stock photography. Would I go for them for a, uh, a bunch of vets looking over animals in a training situation? <laughs> no, you would not. Damn, that's <laughs> no, a bit too specific. I'm, yes, That's yes, not B-roll. That's, no, that's not B-roll. <laughs> they wouldn't have that. Um, look, what they're good at is uh, temp- After Effects templates, yep. I think, and motion backgrounds. So if you go, look, I want an awards ceremony. Uh, doing a corporate awards ceremony, I just need something that looks you know, sparkly and, and fantastic. Show me what you got. You go there and they'll give you a set and there'll be 16 or, or 8 or whatever different versions of a particular style. With and sound and everything? Yeah, well, potentially. Mm-hmm. You'll go in there and you'll, you'll stick in your own uh, bits of text and, and render it out and the client will be happy and it'll look okay. And I think that's really where they are. They're fantastic for those sort of corporate gigs, uh, maybe church videos, um, all that sort of stuff. But I don't think I'll be subscribed for that much longer because I just it's just not up to the standard that I really want in the work that I'm doing. It's just not there. Again, it's non-offensive. It's the vanilla ice cream of stock. Yeah. Um, mm. And they do things really, really well, but it just looks it looks like stock. Yeah. And um, that's the trick is trying to get shots that don't look like stock. Um, and uh, it's so tricky because, you know, when you're um, you're sitting with someone and, the, and they, they just quote something that's from another video, they go, well, I want something that looks like this. Mm-hmm. And they'll link you to a YouTube video and you'll just be looking at this piece of footage, which is specifically shot by a really professional bunch of people on a high-end camera. And he's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And you're watching a jib arm move with like a camera that's yeah. pulling a depth of field and doing something. You're like, yeah. Yeah, that's that really shot costs $70,000. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, Digital Juice, it's an interesting one. The, the thing that probably tops it off for me is that it's not a website. It's an app. Wow. And look, Digital Juice always had an app, or at least they've had an app for a long time. Uh, they've called it the Juicer. Hmm. And the Juicer has been this thing which basically takes their proprietary, I imagine, files and outputs it, transcodes it or, or does uncompresses it and encodes it, whatever you want to say. Hmm. So you can go, okay, here's some stock explosions. I want to export it as a QuickTime ProRes 444 with the transparency as a separate file. And it gives you all that power, which is really good. Or I want it as a series of JPEGs or whatever. So the transcode um, options, I guess, are pretty good. But couple of things in their new version, it's not multi-threaded, which may not sound like a, a big issue, but when you're sitting there waiting and you're seeing oh. your CPU using one core, it's bloody frustrating. Wow, that's, sure. that's an oversight. What, yeah. even for encoding? Yeah, and that the other enco- thing, it's not even encoding. The more frustrating thing is when you're downloading. So it, it is all you can eat. So you go in there and you go, oh, there's 16 different videos in here. I, I want to grab them all. I'm sorry, you can only queue up eight at a time. Okay, all right, I'll load up eight and I'll start downloading. And the thing that I found, I'm on a reasonable internet connection, is my downloads often finish before each of the finalization, as they're called, things happen. So once it downloads, it sort of does this processing to get the file ready. And I'll have a queue of eight videos, and I'll be held up by the fact that they're still doing this finalization process. And I can't add more things to the queue until it's finished the finalization process. And I look at my CPU and one core is being used and nothing else. Wow. So that might sound like a really esoteric gripe, but it is something that really slows you down in terms of a, a workflow. So that is, that's a problem with it. Um, the other thing is that the interface is slow as shit, basically. So they have this 
this interface, which I guess does kind of look a bit like Netflix. You go through and you see all these nice thumbnails of uh, previews mm. of the different bits of stock and they all look pretty. But the scrolling is shithouse, basically. Mm. Like, it's slow. And it's this sort of thing where you're trying to drive a 3,000 horsepower car. You you can either touch the throttle a tiny bit and not much happens, or you touch it a little bit more and then suddenly you've been shot across the, the road into a tree. Um so the scrolling is just sluggish and awful. And it's again, it seems like a little thing, but it drives you nuts when you're trying to look yeah. through content. So Getting an interface right with, with a stock library is so yeah. important. I mean, this is um, like today I was using a, a stock library called Dreamstime. And the great thing about that is that it's just a page. I mean, it's images, not video, but it's just pages worth of thumbnails. And it's just so simple, so quick. And um, you can give a client a guest login and you just say, all right, use this password. Off you go. All right. And then just hit light box on everything that you like yep. and it just appears on your thing yep. you know and you're like okay that's cool i think um i think even uh video blocks allows you to do a client yes yeah, so you can't do that with like, digital juice i can't remember if it does one of them does it but that's really important so be able to yeah. like um if you're collaborating so I'm, I'm calling people clients here but i mean it 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 refers to anything which you're working on where you're collaborating with a bunch of people which is pretty much everything with video hmm. um can you actually give the people you're collaborating with the ability to be able to look at everything and make their decisions? This is what happens with stock traditionally, is yeah. that you put something in and they go, oh, look, it's not perfect. I, I don't know. Like, what else is there? And you go, well, the easiest thing to do is to say, well, you have yeah. a look. <laughs> and you send them to the site and they look and they go, oh, oh, hmm. Yeah, that's the best one. That's the best one. <laughs> yeah. or, or you go, this one here, I think this one's better, but this one is $600 and the other one you're looking at is $33. Which one would you like? And that's the thing is the price difference on all of them. I mean, there are different options. I mean, I actually wrote down some prices to talk. Typically, I find there's some really lovely stuff on Shutterstock, for instance, or um, iStock yeah. or Shutterstock especially. I mean, I've, I've used a whole load of stuff, but what you tend to do is, uh, you know, you'll use one of these cheaper services to put your generic, super generic shots in if you need them. Mm. And then there'll be something killer that is like, like we had shots of a damn wall for a job I was working on. Um, and there was a shot of flying over like a power station with the plumes of um, environmental pollution coming out of the top. So that was, and it was such a beautiful shot. And the client was like, oh, that's just, you know, that's what I want. So for me, you know, for that, I was able to, to buy that. It's the, this is the problem. They charge credits in inverted commas. Everything is a credit. Yeah. What the hell is a credit? Yeah. What is this your own freaking you know you know currency? And yeah. they do that because they they, they don't want to have different prices from different units all over the world. So they they kind of charge you whatever your country is for credits, mm -hmm. and and you pay for that. It worked out to be about eighteen credits, which is you know for for eye stock for a shot, and it's ten dollars a credit. That's one hundred and eighty bucks a shot. Mm. And I was looking at a whole lot of shots the other day in iStock, and they're all about 180 bucks. Yep. And, you know, this is the point where, okay, if you've got six shots or so, then it's cheaper for you to go out and shoot it yourself, and at least you've got your own options. It depends what they and, are. And it depends also, what they are. But not exclusively licensed. And this is the other thing. What is the license? Hmm. So, you know, the license is you get to use it, and you get to, you know, put it in your production, but everybody else does as well. Yep. And, you know, you sort of explain that to a client and the problem is I've had clients have come out and seen stock imagery in other things and gone, oh, I was watching this show the other night and I noticed it's the same shot we use. You're like, mm. yeah, it was probably because yeah. it was the best one up there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> But we, you know, we paid, you know, 180 bucks for that shot. Shutterstock again is about 110 bucks a clip. So you might ask, why are we going to spend 110 bucks a clip when for 100 bucks or 120 bucks a year, 
Mm. you can get access to something like video blocks. But it is those killer shots that are really good. Yeah. And sometimes you've just got to pay for the money. And this is where if you get the more specific it is, mm. like if I want a video clip of the Melbourne, uh, what was it, horse racing, something or other, like Melbourne Cup, blah, 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 of something, and you'll find a shot from a site, you'll be like, ah, I found it. And it's five six hundred dollars a shot. It's someone who yeah. Look, I wanted a, I wanted a shot of an anonymous baby hand on the edge of um, a cot. Yeah, six hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> there you go. So, but it was the perfect shot. It was right? the perfect shot. And if you were to set that up and play around, it would take yeah a day and having to organise a baby and parents yeah. and things and lighting. The yeah, rest don't of have it. Any so babies in the yeah yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of those things. Again, it gets even harder. I mean, and this isn't really stock, I guess, so much as um, licensed shots. Um, and just just to open the world of this up to people out there who have never come across this, mm. I worked on a documentary a few years ago um, that was about the 1956 Olympics. And in particular, there was some really iconic imagery in there that, and some things that had gone down. And, um, you know, for us to track down some of the, the stuff was so hard in those images because even the newspapers and things never actually, like, they just reprinted stuff. We eventually tracked down the original, like, negative, or it was a positive. It was, um, it was actually shot on slide film on a... On a um, a uh, medium format camera. We're really lucky, but it, it was like you know sitting in an envelope in some like uh, archive facility somewhere in Massachusetts, and we managed to find it and get it and rescan it and retouch it, and then we had the best quality version of the photo that was ever captured. But yeah. you know that journey is so damn hard. If you want mm. specific stuff, trying to track it down to its original source, the problem is especially on a documentary or something is people like. You know, and directors and, and, and people you're working with tend to actually say, well, I like this shot. Can we just use this as a placeholder? Yeah. Placeholders are dangerous. Bad. Yeah. They're, well, they're not bad. They're good because bad. it shows the vision, but then yeah, you've no, got to- they're bad because you You've got to match it up and you, you can do some color stuff and things to match color. That's not a problem. But to get the same shot, I mean, you know, and you've got people dropping stuff in from movies and from- We had a whole load of other documentaries that, that, that they'd stolen stuff from, or not stolen, but taken it from for the, what we call offline- Borrowed. In, in inverted commas, the, you know, the version that we were using to to get the concept down. And then it was down to me and Beck. I forget Beck's last name, but she was she's this amazing stock library uh, a woman who just goes and knows all of the stock library sources, like from you know, ABC and NBA and um, who were the guys in America, NBC and CNN. She's got contacts with all over the world and everyone. And it was like, oh, well, we think it's from this documentary. And then you've got to specify the time code and then they'll send you a, like, you know, a, approximate like placeholder, but you spend thousands and thousands of dollars and the time Mm. just to track this down. And then you might have got an original dub. You're like, oh, it's about 21 minutes and 30 seconds into the show, but your dub, your version of the show has been cut down and sliced and edited by whoever captured it off a TV and then, you know, put it up on YouTube or whatever, which is where your director's captured it and take Mm. it. And I cannot describe how hard it is to try to find a read like that, original source material from, you know, original from programming material that's already out there. So stock library stuff is really handy on the front that it's just there with a preview. You can see it. I want it. Yes, go. And then you've got it. Yep. So um, I don't know. That's just a little bit of a story on the end of there just to sort of say how hard it is to source stock footage from historical events. Mm. Um, you would think that people would love and look after footage from the ages, but you'd be surprised okay. how much of it's been thrown out and just yeah. dumpstered. Um, 
hopefully that'll change a little bit going into the future because we are seeing services like Getty Image and the, the guys actually capturing events and putting it in there for stock libraries. And you think, oh, why are these specific events all coming up as stock footage? Mm. But, gee, I tell you what, super useful. Going back to our, our picks, I guess, of this week, would you recommend video blocks? <clears throat> it's a for big, 150 it's a bucks a year, there's going to be at least that much value in you know in some clips it'll get you by if not just so you your person you're working even just as placeholder stuff but i mean okay. it's okay there's some real generic stuff you'll need to yeah. change the frame rates and stuff around and so but there is some generic stuff that's good hmm. okay look with digital juice i don't think i'm as i said earlier i don't think i'm going to keep it i think there are possibly other services out there and i don't use it enough to be honest. Also, the other thing I didn't mention earlier is the app crashes a lot, which it drives you nuts. You're downloading, you walk away, you're waiting for th- three gigs to download, you come back and nothing's happened because it crashed. So if I was doing that sort of stuff all the time, I think Digital Juice would totally be worth it. If you were doing corporate event after corporate event and they're all sort of award ceremonies. What about, a, document, sort of what about a documentary or what about a um, mm, short yeah. films or what about, no, you know? no. Uh, See, Digital th- Juice, yeah, I would say there's going to be... Not Digital Juice, sorry. Uh, the video blocks, video I would blocks, say there's yeah. some stuff in there that's going to be handy. Well, I think Digital Juice is, is a little bit of a different focus. It's not so, They do have stock footage, but it's not so much a focus on stock footage. Their uh, their expertise, I guess, is in um, the After Effects templates and also the, the composited elements, so explosions and glass shatters and all those sort of things that you see all the time. So maybe for for composited elements, short films, it might it might be useful, um, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's award ceremonies and, and lower end TV and that sort of thing that it's going to be most suited for. They do have some music. They we used it, Chris, many years ago on a project. They had some good alternative music, which I thought was quite excellent, really, for for what we paid for it. But the music these days just sounds so generic, and there are much better options out there. You get what you pay for. I think. I mean, video blocks, maybe you get a, a, the odd bit of bonus material, which is good. But still, if you really want, you know, I think even with services like Audio Jungle, if we're talking about music mm. uh, and in the Envato service, I mean, there's some good stuff up there as well. I mean, but often you'll find you jump, do yourself a favor one day and jump into a proper stock library and check out, you know, like Beatbox or um, oh, there's one we're using recently. Which, and it's just, there's some stuff you find. And it's like, oh, okay, this is good. And it yeah. might be 110 bucks a track, but think about your time and your effort to how much it would be to get a musician to record and lay it down, even just getting them in the studio and covering studio costs and things like, you know. Yeah. There's some great, really high-quality stuff where you're like, wow, well, this look, is right up there. And my my go-to has been the music bed, and I, I use one of the, their tracks as my um, demo reel track, and I think... That they're there good, but the music is actual, as I like to call it, real music. It's the sort of stuff you could buy in a store or, or download on iTunes if you paid for it. Um, and there is a big difference between that and just the sort of generic, cheesy, corporate, synthy stuff that you might get on some of these lesser priced stock websites. So, as and as you say, Chris, it, it, you get what you pay for definitely with music. And the biggest thing is what are the license terms. You yeah. really need something where you can hand it over to your client or hand it over or finish it as, as yourself and not have to worry about, you know, if it's going to go on TV or if it gets a screening at a um, at a festival or if it, then somebody takes it up, you get an offer that you want to put it on, you know, a, a special service linked to something. You don't want to have to worry about paying for it again or having to tell them, well, look, you're going to have to report back to these people and do this with music. 
usually there's uh, leeway f- for that to happen. Mm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with filling out a, a proper APRA form and everything and, and having those people credited and paid for. But but the best thing is if you don't have to worry about licensing. Yeah. Licensing gets so complicated. I think most of the companies are realizing that and they're a lot more laid back. In fact, I read a company's FAQ the other day and burst out laughing because they were so laid back about all that sort of stuff. Um, however... For the most part, any new company is going to give you a pretty broad license and they're going to give it to you in reasonably clean, clear language if if you're not going to be covered. And broadcast is generally the big one. Most stock uh, companies will give you the, the whole streaming license these days, no problems. So whack it up on Vimeo or YouTube. It's as soon as you get to broadcast, it can sometimes be a bit of an issue. Mm. But uh, most of them will cover you for the sort of stuff we're generally doing in terms of the the high end of low end production. Sometimes we're jumping into broadcast, but uh, the difference, the price difference, is kind of like thirty bucks versus about one hundred and forty yeah. or so. 100. So it does go up significantly, but it's nothing you can't manage. You've just really got to just keep a spreadsheet of what you've used. I know that sounds boring, but it's always worth with any project just saying stock elements yeah, and having a list. There. Now, look, some people might be not necessarily at the higher end of low-end media production. They might be at the low end of low-end media production and can't afford music. So for those people, there are a couple of things out there that I've suggested in the past, especially for students. Um, so the Free Music Archive, FMA. FMA. Yeah. Um, they've got stuff on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, there's someone called DJ Lang, and all my students ask me if I'm <laughs> DJ <you>. Lang. <laughs> uh, but no, despite having the same name, uh, I'm not DJ Lang. Anyway, look, that's a good starting point. A lot of yep. stuff up there is Creative Commons. For those unfamiliar mm-hmm. with Creative Commons, it's a license that people can use to distribute their work with some conditions, uh, things like it can't be used for commercial purposes or it needs to be credited with the the original mm-hmm. artist. So it's a way to sort of give you your stuff away for free, but still have some control over it and, and some integrity and some credit, I suppose, uh, when people use your work. So a lot of that stuff is, is Creative Commons, but it, it's a it's a good starting point for those who can't afford to pay for music. There's definitely some crap on there, but there's also these days a lot of good music up there as well. So if you can afford the time, and that's really the big thing a lot of the time these days between paid stuff and and free stuff is how long you're willing to invest in just sitting there and listening to tracks. If you can invest the time, FMA is a good place to start, I think. No, Free Music Archive, the people who run it are really cool too. I've actually met some of them. Right. Well, so. look, the other one is interesting, and that is the YouTube Audio Library. Have you ever looked at that, Chris? Oh, yeah, the one that comes with it, yeah. Well, so... It's YouTube have, have already pre-licensed a whole lot of tracks Yeah, so there's royalty-free stuff in there, and that's what it traditionally was, was just tracks you could download for free. And look, yeah, they were pretty generic, but they're okay if you just needed something in the background. As long as you use it on YouTube, it's okay. Well, this is interesting, Chris. I have gone through their license, and I have gone through their license with lawyers in the room, and it doesn't actually sort of stipulate that anywhere, that it has to be on YouTube. Ah. So you need a YouTube account to access the YouTube music library, but there is nothing in the license that I or the lawyers I've spoken to have found <laughs> that says you actually have to upload it to YouTube. Ah. But Anyway, that's just a bit of an aside. So the YouTube audio library, they have some sound effects. Again, very generic sort of ones, car tires screeching and ducks quacking, that sort of thing. But they have some music, which if you just want to whack something in the background, some of it's actually okay. But interestingly enough, they've also added a bit of Creative Commons stuff now. Again, you need to attribute it properly. But they're sort of bringing that into the mix. And and Vimeo have their own version of this where they have free tracks, Creative Commons tracks, and even some, some cheap tracks as well. So like $2.00 
for, for yeah. a use case. So if you don't have a lot of money, those are three places, the YouTube Audio Library, FMA, and the Vimeo Music Store that you can maybe start out and get some stuff that's reasonable in terms of quality, not amazing, but reasonable, uh, without spending a whole lot of money. Yeah. Otherwise, just talk to your local bands and your friends and people and you know, you'll be surprised that people will, if you, you know, give them something a little bit in return, maybe offer to make them a music clip or something like that. I mean, you can do some great barter trades. and Yeah, give them, give them something in return. Don't just say you'll get exposure. There's nothing no. worse from a musician than, oh, wow, I'll get 30 YouTube hits. That's not exposure. Give them something a little bit give more Give them something that. back and they'll, or even just like something you know, like, like go into a jam or cover, offer to cover a gig. You know, that's or a six pack of beer. You'll be surprised what struggling musicians will do. <laughs> yeah, beer's a really good, uh, really good bargaining token. Speaking of which, talking of which, <laughs> let's end this show. What have we got? We today have the Atomic Pale Ale from Gage Roads Brewing Co. Yeah, I've already been through a six pack of this at a party a couple of weeks ago, so I'm quite familiar with it. I love this beer. Look, the reason I picked this one up, Chris, is because I've had their mid strength beer, and as you know, light beers suck mm. and mid-strength beers generally suck as well but it's quite a hoppy mid-strength as far as i understand yeah and so it sort of has gauge roads i think it. is the best lower alcohol beer that i've had so i thought we'll give this one a go and as you say you've had it before mm. um nice hoppy edge it's got um it's got a sort of a sour sort of side to it that i quite mm. like Look, um to be completely honest i it's nothing amazing it, it's just a good quality beer i think yeah oh i i really um Really agree with you. It's the Atomic Pale Ale. Very is green and um, green and yellow. Yellow logo. I mean, it's uh, of course uh, Western Australian. Uh, we do we do tend to talk about a lot of Australian beers on the show because well, we make reasonable beer. And yeah, and that's what's stocked. We will try to get onto some more international uh, flavors in the future. But yeah, this is brewed by fussy bastards, according yeah. to the back of the label. Well, the front says the Gage Roads brewing company mm. so mm. dry hopped and unfiltered yeah i'd give it that it's yeah look it's clean again i it's not amazing it's nothing particularly different it's the sort of beer that you totally drink every day of the week would you seek it out though uh, look i'd probably if i was going for something that's hoppy and quite out there i'd probably mm. go for something that's a bit more ipa orientated and and has a little bit more edge to it but look i would happily drink that You'd see it on the weekend. shelf at a small bottle though you have a whole lot of options you go yeah yeah i've had that before that is it good. a reasonable price uh, check my watch. Yeah, because you used tap and pay, yeah. didn't you? Nine nineteen dollars. There we go. So that's, that's right. for a six pack. Um, yeah, not too bad. Not too expensive in the yeah. scheme of things for Australia. For Australia, <laughs> but then again, anyone listening internationally, you micro. Might... These are micro breweries. Yeah, yeah, they're not mainstream Fosters. We we don't drink Fosters for those of you overseas. No, we don't even really know what it is. Yeah. It's like something that was around in the eighties that disappeared in a blue can. Yeah, with Umatic. Mm. <laughs> and uh, Crocodile Dundee. Oh, no, he works in this building. There's a poster of him right there. I'm oh. looking at him right now. Excellent. Thank you. I enjoyed, I'm your, sure he'll I enjoyed your movies, apart from the third one, which was rubbish. You should have stopped <laughs> at number two. Well, you should watch everything else with this guy. Hey, how you doing, Dave? Of which um, we'll talk to you guys on the next Purple Fringe, whenever that'll be. Yes. So, uh, again, you can always get in contact with us uh, via our Twitter account, which is TPF Show. So, feel free to give us a at mention and we'll get back to you. If you've got any questions, we'd love to chat about them on the show. Uh, otherwise, join us next time when we discuss the high end of low end media production.
And I've just got an FS5 that's arrived, so we might have yes, to we'll have something uh, talk about next week. Something to talk about when I unbox that. Yes, indeed. Fun times. All right, guys. We'll Till see next you time. soon. Cheers, buddy.